Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Happy Book Talk Day. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we all read a section of a book and then we chat about it on Sunday nights. And tonight is the last section of Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Um, this was a very sweet ending to this book. I thought we watched Michelle get better at cooking, get better at handling her emotions. We watched the band actually make it. Her and Peter also make it and move their lives um, to New York. And it all culminates in a sweet scene at one of their shows in Korea um, where Michelle's family attends the show. So Erica, what did you overall think of this book and of the section? I will start with the section first. So I felt like the last chapter was unnecessary. I felt like the ending kind of dragged out and I always feel I'm always like cognizant of that at the end of a book. It's like, when does the book actually, when does the story that you've told us actually end? Because I think the book is not really about Michelle. Is she She's in a hard place because everybody knows that she's like a famous musician. So you're sort of like, okay, so when does that part happen? How does it happen? When did you write this album? You know, we know these things because she's a public person. But I didn't know that it ended or like wrapped up anything that was like essential in the story necessarily the la- the second to last chapter I feel like is honestly where she probably should have left it which is at the end of the Korean spa where she feels like she's like in this like warm cocoon after being like scrubbed down from all this like dead skin that's on her she feels like she has this conversation with the woman about being Korean And then she finally starts to cry. And it's like the whole last section, I feel she has been pushing her emotions away, trying to get settled into this new reality that she has. And that is a moment where she finally takes a breath to feel everything because she's in this very warm, safe space. And I feel like it could have just ended there. I liked in the last section, though, when it, when it does kind of come full circle and they're in Korea, I feel like I do feel like it was a little bit un, not unnecessary, but it was not the story being told to be like, here's how my band made it and here's what we did and here's how we really got noticed and this is why, because that was not the story she was telling. Um, so I don't think that that part was truly necessary, but the part that I did appreciate was her being back there. And, you know, I really like my ending of knowing that her and Peter did make it. And that she had kind of developed this really special bond with her Korean family of her own. Like it wasn't because her mom was there, but of her own and really had kind of found and been grounded in who she was and brought her whole life kind of full, full circle back to that moment of her mom's picture walking away on the records, you know, because her picture's on their record in Korea and then spending the week with her aunt and uncle um, with her and Peter. And I liked knowing that, this family unit is still doing okay. Like they are still walking through this together and that she's kind of developing that bond that she so badly wanted growing up. But I do think we could have had just that piece and we didn't really need the like coming of age of the band story. So I kind of see it both ways. You know, we talked about this a little bit with of women and salt with Sharda of how like judiciously using like each paragraph Mm-hmm. intentionally and I feel like in the end you know there she describes yeah. in detail like a lot of them like 
making the album, how the album gets popular, booking this tour, right. communicating that, part that was they're not be coming to Korea, getting way too drunk, then deciding to go to karaoke. It was just like, okay, just like wrap it up. Like this yes. part doesn't yes. need to keep going. It could have even been like an epilogue of just like seeing yes, people yes. carrying her mom's picture around Korea and how that made her feel. Um, that was the only thing. I just wish it would have like she would have just I, I get that it's hard as someone who also writes not like this type of writing, but also writes things. It's like there's things you want to add and it really takes a good editor to be like actually the story you're telling is a very small part of your mom's life and death it's not about you and it's not about like what people expect you to say you can just say what like completes the story I guess yeah I feel like it is a separate story so I agree what (gasps) yay look at that (laughs) but I do still want I want that last scene that closure scene of her and Peter going back to Korea but I totally agree it could be in the epilogue like you know, two years later, looking back on the time in my life, blah, blah, blah. Here I am now. I was on tour in Korea, having dinner with my aunt, realizing how grateful I am for this, period. You know, and like, it, but I did appreciate, you know, you love a close ending. <laughs> I also ran, ran to Instagram to see if she had any pictures of Peter. And she um, same. I immediately. <laughs> I literally was like, Michelle and Peter's on. Let me Google it. Yep. He's there. I am just so happy with their story and that it worked out. I feel like, you know, like I've said multiple times this podcast, I do love the little lines of these other little side stories that are in here that don't get like as much. We don't really get a lot of her and Peter's relationship um, and like what their struggles were, but I still am like rooting for them to be making it. Okay. So you told us what you thought about that section, but what did you think about the overall book? Give me a, give me an out of five rating and then your like synopsis thoughts. Overall, I really liked this book. I think she really looked at the hardest part of this story, which is her mom, watching her mom fall, like, just completely fall apart. I think she did that in a really unflinching way. And because of that, because of, like, the bravery to kind of sit down and write this story, I, like, can forgive the other things of the book. Like, I don't think she quite did the other people in the story justice but her intention which is to really be honest about her mom and what she went through I think is admirable and I think her reflections on it were really helpful so yeah I like this book I don't think I'll ever read it again but I definitely earmarked a bunch of pages and quotes and things that I resonated with and I hope it's helpful for people who like are grieving or have grieved recently I think I would also give this book a four. I thought um, it was. (laughs) That's surprising. I mean, I think that it's a four as like it was really well written. I think she her relationships with people um, in her life are really relatable. Her writing is really raw. And I really did like that, even though and I'll put a caveat at the end of this. But like, even though I feel like the book was sad I think that she did a really good job of like weaving in stories that made you realize that like happiness can come even in times that are really hard and you can still find joy like she still has found joy in her marriage and in her band and in her you know in her understanding of who she is through all of that which doesn't erase the grief or anything but also just like we're so multi-dimensional um that being, I think it was a really good book. That being said, I, it's not a book for me. <laughs> like I, this isn't the kind of book that I enjoy reading, um, normally. And I feel like memoirs in general, um, 
I definitely am more invested if I really invested in who the person is. Like if I follow them or like their work and I wasn't familiar with her before this, like really familiar with her. I knew who she was, you know, kind of, but so I feel like that makes me really interested in memoirs. And I also feel like for me reading about grief is like not an enjoyable thing to do, but we talk about why we read books differently. Reading sad stories about things that would never happen, that would never happen to me, but are much less likely also feels different than reading about things that feel like inevitable. I'm kind of like, mm, I don't want to just like think about this. <laughs> and I think, like I said before too, like this book, if I would have read it over a weekend, I think I would have enjoyed it more um, than dragging it on for such a long time. But I do, I don't think that just because it wasn't for me, I still think this was a good book. Whereas some other books I've given lower ratings to, I'm like, this wasn't as good of a book. So yeah, I think it was good. Was there anything you felt like was missing from this book while you're reading it? I think there are more similarities between Michelle and her mom than she realizes. And this is, of course, like the classic um, child-mother relationship where you just see them in a very two-dimensional way. She gets into it a little bit with recognizing that her mom... Um, you know, had this kind of artistic side and was taking classes and trying to reinvent herself. But there's so much more about like her mom creating a life in Eugene, Oregon. You know, her mom recognizing that the Korean community that did exist, like her opportunity connect to connect to this culture came with this like conservative Christian viewpoint that she didn't hold. And that is pretty like rebellious. I mean, it's pretty rebellious to like leave Korea with this guy. Like I I just think she doesn't really dig too much into how her mom and her are very similar and how her mom is actually extremely badass. And I can kind of still see how she's like limited a little bit and how she views her mom as kind of this obstacle for her who still hurt her in a lot of ways but she still kind of views her as her mother I guess so I wanted to know more I wanted to know more about her dad's upbringing her mom's upbringing get more of like the full picture of both of those characters I think there were a lot of characters I wanted a more full picture of <laughs> I'm also like are they wealthy like are they wealthy because I'm confused like what does her dad do what did her mom do like how are they just like going to Korea every year that's expensive Buying all these products on QVC. I'm like, what are these people's <laughs> lies? I love it. I'm so supportive of them. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think how did this happen? kind of well off. I don't know what her dad does. But yes, I think it would have been interesting to know more about, like, Michelle and Peter. I wanted to know way more about her family in Korea, too. Like, what do they all do? I wanted to know more about Peter. What does his family think? What is her relationship with her in-laws? Which, for the brief moment we see them, seems to be excellent. So, like, I would love to know more about what role they play. And there was a lot of, I think story she wasn't telling um but I do think yeah we were missing that kind of self-reflection on who her mother is now that she's gotten some perspective but I don't know how long after her mom's death was the story written because I wonder if that perspective on how they're similar you know will happen as Michelle goes through her life because I think you know it's sometimes like when you have if Michelle ever has her own kids um or if she ever has to move to a place with 
like her husband that she's not sure if she can form a community in or like has some of these similar experiences, maybe she can recognize more of that in her mom. And sometimes it takes experiencing it yourself to be able to see someone that close to you in a different light. I guess based on that, obviously we spend a lot of time in Michelle and in her world. Do you think she kind of develops her identity? Do you see her like growing throughout this book? Like, what do you think about her character, quote unquote character, since she's a real person, her character (laughs) development? Yeah, I do see her growing a lot throughout the book. And I think at the end, we do kind of get some closure and she's figuring out, you know, who she is and who she is in Korea, who she is in Oregon, who she is in New York and kind of figuring out how to merge those into who she really is as a person. And when she's on stage, when she's on tour, what part of this is her and what part of this is what she thought she wanted. And I think we see her getting a lot more clarity on that towards the end, which I did appreciate. I also loved seeing her in Korea in that last section, like I said before, at her aunt and uncle's house. Um, You know, they're at the restaurant and she's still having kind of a hard time communicating or really expressing like the level of love and gratefulness she has for this part of her family. Um, but they're so kind to her and they make her feel so at home and they just like fully embrace her. And I feel like you can finally see her starting to feel like maybe she's enough in this last chapter. Maybe her being half Korean, half American, maybe her being in a band for a career, maybe all of this is actually enough. So I thought that was like very satisfying to see her kind of coming into herself and all she wanted, like even at the spa, she's still kind of struggling with it, right? Like she just wants to be enough with who she is. Is she Korean enough? Is she American enough? She just wants to be valued for who she is. And I think she's finding that in her family and Peter and in like her identity at the end. Yay. So (laughs) yeah, I guess we liked this book. We liked this book. I tried to pass down to Erica, my knowledge of reading a really sad book. And then also reading a couple of, rom-coms on the side to get you through the really serious ones so um to be determined if you've been converted to an occasional rom-com lover but I think we're on the right track speaking of you being a rom-com lover yes I don't know if these count as rom-coms I just feel like they're in the romantic genre oh something to discuss I mean they have romance right Uh, so next week we are doing a one-off special episode Double feature of one Miss Emily Henry, Beach Read, and People We Meet on Vacation. So we're going to be discussing both books. We'll probably split it half and half and then talk about themes from both without spoilers. So that way you can listen if you've read both of them or only one of them. And that will be coming out next week. Yay. I can't wait to discuss them. I have lots of thoughts. I loved both these It'll be books. so fun. It is going to be fun. Also, okay, last bit of housekeeping before we bring on our amazing guest, Athena, is announcing our next book, which we completely forgot to do last week. Oops. Sorry. Please read the show notes where I write everything that we forgot to say. Do people read the show notes? I have no idea. (laughs) Just checking. Next, we're reading Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan. It is a thriller backed by popular demand. And my favorite description of this so far is... Beneath the veneer of a happy suburban community often lies ugly secrets and even uglier personalities. Dun, dun, dun. Um, There's going to be some good drama, lots to discuss in this book. And I like the, you know, the veneer of the suburban utopia and what's actually happening underneath it. 
So I'm excited to get started. Yes. So we are going to be taking off on the 4th of July. So there will not be an episode on the 4th of July, but that is when we will start reading Good Neighbors. So there's not really chapters with this book. It's like really interesting the way it's like divvied up, but we're going to be reading pages 1 through 69 the week of July 4th to the 11th. So get your book and maybe you can start reading at the beach on the 4th. How cute. I think this will be fun to like get back into a different type of book. I've heard that this book is like really creepy but good like definitely not as dark in some ways and then more suspenseful so I think it'll be a fun shift in what we're reading. Hi, my name is Athena. I am a library specialist from rural Southern Oregon. So um, no subway here either. I read mostly on my lunch breaks or um, when I get home from work with my cat Nala. Working in a library is like my, what I would love to be doing. Okay, so our first question is about the writing style in general. So how do you feel about memoirs in general? Do you like them? Do you usually read them? And when and how do you think they can be most effective? I love a good memoir. I love reading other people's experiences. Um, Southern Oregon is very beautiful, but um, it's not necessarily diverse. And so memoirs are a really good way to kind of access those stories that may not be well represented here. Do you feel like the most successful memoirs are ones that are less like telling you everything that's happened? Like this happened, then this happened. Like I like when it's more in depth, like how that experience made someone feel, how that experience like helped you grow or pulled you back or however. Um, anyway. <laughs> no, that's good. I agree. I think it's way better when it's about somebody's specific time of their life rather than like an entire you know memoir of here's who I am but like here's this one really profound experience that I had and here's how it changed who I became I think that makes it much more interesting this is sort of like we'll get back to this later in the questions but Katie and I were talking about your review of crying in HMAR and how it's like it's hard to talk about a memoir because these are real people and these are real people who were like what kind of character is this or like this character doesn't have great like development because it's a real person, so it's not a perfect kind of book to maybe abstract from. Um, not that there's not a lot of really good themes to talk about from this book. It just makes critiquing it a little bit harder. It really, it really does, yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like, I'm like, if you say you don't like her dad as a character, it's like, well, her dad is a real person with all of these real flaws. It's not like she invented him from her head. He's like living and breathing and existing and being his own person. Right. It's hard to be like, when you read about a character who's flawed, I think it's a lot easier to kind of like, not even pass judgment, but just kind of to pass judgment and to like say what you're, I don't know. It's a lot different when it's a real person that you're like, well, I think they made bad decisions. And you're like, yeah, but who are you to judge this real person? When it's a character, you know, somebody wrote them, they designed them to be flawed in a certain way for the flow of the story and for the friend that their main character needed or whatever it is. This isn't a person that was designed for us to read. It's just like a real living person that we're also analyzing and we don't have their whole story. So I think it's 
it is much different to be analyzing the characters. I do feel like I kind of forgot that multiple times when we were talking about them, that these are real people whose full stories we don't have. We only have one perspective. Right. These are real people who, like, Michelle is hurt by, especially in the case of her dad. Like, she's very hurt by his actions. And so then how much can you even trust her view of him or her diagnosis of, like, why he did certain things? Mm-hmm. And that's part of why I, um, that's the frustrating thing about memoirs, but it's something I really enjoy about them is like in books, um, sometimes it's intentional that characters don't get redemption or characters are just like messy, but in memoirs, it's just, it's kind of frustrating, but it's an enjoyable frustration that these people can be so complex and so difficult because I mean, that's just how people are and that's just what they do. And, um, that's one of the positives, the more frustrating positives of like reading books like Crying in H Mart, that people are just so like messy and not always great. And that's just how they are. A big part of the book is Michelle's relationship with Korean food and how this food connects Michelle to different aspects of herself and her family. Um, do you feel like you have this relationship with food and do you see this relationship with food and other people in your life? Kind of, yeah. So my dad is um, French and Scottish, and so he doesn't have, he doesn't contribute much food-wise, not to diss him, but um, he kind of, he's just like, anyway, I'm going to ignore that and go on. My mom, though, she's Portuguese, <laughs> and she grew up in Hawaii, and so um, when her family immigrated from the specific region of Portugal they're from to Hawaii, they stayed there from like the 1880s until she eventually moved to the mainland for college. And so the food in Hawaii is really such a, a blend of, like, every immigrant group that came there. So it's not just, like, Portuguese or, like, indigenous Hawaiian. It's, like, Korean and it's, like, Chinese and it's, like, Filipino and all these wonderful things. And so since I grew up here on the mainland, it's very difficult to, like, connect with that part because we're not, like, indigenous to Hawaii. We're not indigenous to that state. Um, but when we cook the food, it certainly feels like a little bit closer, especially since my mom's relatives are much older. And that's just like, so my favorite food to make that's like Portuguese Hawaiian is a malasada. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a beignet and they're made at a very specific time of year. And so my grandmother made a really big point of teaching me how to make them. And she's like, I'm passing the recipe down to you. You're going to be the one who has it. And it's like this really great thing where even though, you know, now I'm like a generation or two removed from the people who lived there or my family who still lived there. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, I have this really cool recipe. It's like I have insider knowledge. And <laughs> it makes me feel so much closer to that side of the family, knowing that I can make that. And like it's a recognizable, tangible thing from that, that culture that I don't necessarily have total access to if that makes sense yeah I love that I speaking of like character arcs in the book I feel like when Michelle finally like successfully cooks Korean food it's such like a moment for her of like I am I am Korean which she like struggles with throughout the book it's like this confirmation like this is part of me something has been passed down from my mom it's important it's living in me and here's like a physical manifestation of it in this food I made Exactly, yeah. Okay, so this book seems to be a tearjerker for most people. What part of the story got to you the most? I think it was right when her mom was finally, like, kind of in that, um, in the end stages of her cancer. Um, as a side note, I read this book, I finished it probably the weekend of Mother's Day, and then within a week of my finishing it, my grandmother, who's 92, she lives in the area, she was diagnosed with end-stage colon cancer 
And so she's been in hospice for the last month. And even without that, like I finished the book before that diagnosis, but like afterwards that context adds an additional layer of sadness. And I think it's sort of, it's this really sad feeling when you're taking care of someone and they're sick and you know they're not going to get better. Like, it's really, 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 really difficult. And I think, like, and we've experienced, I've experienced that with other family members before. And it's just, like, it's a unique kind of pain where, like, it is so awful that you're losing them. And it's so hard to have watched them get so sick. But to a certain extent, you're just relieved that they're fine. Like, they're not in that kind of pain or that kind of awfulness anymore. And so I think that was probably the hardest part is like it is just it's it's a unique kind of grief that's just like ongoing while they're sick and then it's like another level of grieving after they're gone so it's like layered pain and I think that was the hardest part of the book at least for me so oh I'm sorry (laughs) yeah I'm sorry too it really sucks and I think that's another level of pain to this book is like you kind of have expectations for how like life is gonna go like I think Michelle specifically says that she expected her mom to outlive her dad and they had plans for what they were gonna do after he died and then things just like totally went on a tailspin or things totally changed and her mom was the one who got sick and she was left with her dad and she's like well this wasn't what I planned for in the slightest And it's like the same thing to a certain extent with my grandmother where we're like, we kind of just thought that she would keep going for another 10 years until she was 103. And then I'd just be like, we just, what we thought, we didn't think it was in her personality to get sick or to be, or to have end stage cancer. Like we thought she was just going to keep going till she didn't. And so it's, it's another level of pain. I keep talking about levels of pain, but it's another level of pain to be like, this is how I imagine my life is going to go. And then have that not be the case at all, or have it be so vastly different. I also was sad. It was a um, sweet but difficult, like bittersweet scene when she was getting ready for the wedding and she was so nervous to show her mom how she looked and is she going to like my hair? She always has something to say about my makeup and her mom was just like, no, you look great. Like, you look beautiful. You look Mm -hmm. lovely. And I think in that moment, she's like, no way she means this. Like, she always has something to say, but it's like this moment of like, I'm just so thankful to be here, to see you. It's fine. Everything you're doing is fine. I'm like, I love you slash I don't have the energy to like critique you you know it's like a bittersweet moment of like how do you interpret that interaction without the lens of like her impending death which is so sad it just like clouds the whole wedding day essentially I really felt like the whole book was sad as I said like which is not the kind of book I normally read or enjoy reading (laughs) but I was like this whole book is sad like uh um, I did think it was very sweet that our mom was there for her and Peter's wedding. I also would just like to say, in case I forget to say it again, that I'm shocked they're still happily, like, they're, like, happy. They're happily married. They, like, did it. They got through all these, like, crazy times. Her, like, leaving on this long vacation. Like, they've been through so much, and, like, they're still, they're doing great. I just was, like, so surprised because I feel like she was just like hi do you just want to marry me I'm really stressed and my mom is dying and I just need to do this so she can be like so she can see this and he was like yeah definitely gonna definitely do that and I was like no way is that gonna work out and it did (laughs) the part that I why I wanted to keep reading was because she did have these storylines of joy like weaved throughout it like her and Peter's story is one of joy and her learning to cook the food and going on their honeymoon and you know Peter just like being so much a part of her family and her traditions is joy. And so like there was that throughout, which made it not so like heart wrenching the whole time. This is, 
I love this. Um, <laughs> yes, this is Erica's favorite debate. part of the book this to talk a, about. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Goodreads. This was like I read it and had a very strong reaction. And then I read someone's comment on Goodreads where they were like, I love this part. And I was like, who is this person? Um, let me say the question. <laughs> Early on in the book, Michelle's mom tells her basically not to give her whole self to anyone and to always keep 10% of it to herself. Essentially, like people will always hurt you. You always have to keep 10% held back. Um, People have different reactions to that advice. I personally hate it. Um, (laughs) But what do you think she meant by this? And what's your reaction to that type of advice? Um, so I personally, I like that advice, um, but my reasoning... Oh, yay! Okay, good. A debate. Uh, Erica's like, yay! Someone to debate with me! So the thing, I like that advice because I come from a a household that is very much, um, it's patriarchal, and there's kind of an expectation that women are supposed to devote their entire lives, not just to their partner, but, like, to their family, to their children, and when it feels like you're giving every single part of you to other people it is very exhausting and it's very it's like wait who am I who am I without these people who am I by myself like if I'm by myself am I anybody and so I like the idea of keeping just like a smidgen of yourself just for you like that um little bit of allowed selfishness I really like I really like that advice like that's good I'm gonna hold on to that (laughs) um but I can understand why you might interpret it differently. Um, and I'd love to hear your, your perspective on why you hated it. I feel like the, like Erica, you can say, I just think it's interesting the way that you just framed that, like in keeping 10%, I think you're kind of, you're both thinking of it in two different ways, which I think is very interesting because I think keeping part of yourself for you is like what people call like self care, right? That's the part where you're allowed to be selfish. That's taking your time to take care of you and like setting those boundaries around yourself that keep you sane and knowing who you are. And I think what's funny about Erica not liking this is you're like the best self-care person ever. So no, (laughs) you're like an ideal self-care human. I also like love uh, being independent. So uh, you, you, Athena, you answered it exactly the way that I would like want to hear that advice. Um, I interpreted it in terms of relationships, thinking about uh, Michelle's parents' relationship, which I also feel like one shortcoming of the book is like Michelle is like too close to what happened and too close, obviously, to the characters in this book to really unpack everything that's going on. Like clearly her mom is not an idiot. Her mom knows that like some philandering is happening. Her dad clearly has like substance abuse things happening. He's got unresolved stuff. We don't know why, we don't know like what it means, et cetera, but it just, it's there. And I think part of that advice comes from a place of like, I can't trust your father. And yet I'm in this position with you as my daughter. And this is kind of, I'm here in Eugene, like this is the life I have to lead. And in order to do that, I have to hold back a part of myself to like get through it. And I understand that. I don't think it's great advice to give your daughter as she like goes to seek out relationships. Like I think it should be like, find someone who you can trust completely. Maybe that doesn't, I, I mean, I don't know. It's a question, like, I don't know if that does exist, but I think it's, it's two questions. Like what did her mom have to do to survive, to make the life that she did and to make the best life for Michelle? And then also how do you set Michelle up to have like the most fulfilling life? Um, those could be two completely different things potentially. Do you recall at what age Michelle first, first gets that advice? 
um, was she like a teenager? Yeah, was she's she like young? Okay, yeah. I think that's probably part. I think I can understand um, if you give that advice to like a ten year old without context or like because like a ten year old emotionally is not going to uh, is not going to have like the emotional maturity or like the wisdom that comes with age to like interpret that in a healthy way. If you're like a 10 year old and your mom is saying you always have to keep 10% of yourself just for you, then you're going to be like, okay. And kind of like interpret that as you see your parents' relationship play out, which is going to cause problems. If she were older and it were like a sit down conversation, like, okay, Michelle, as your mom, here's what I think is really important. Here's how, like, I could see why it's problematic advice to give a kid. And it's, I think it's all about, like, context and also, like, age. Because, again, like, young kids aren't going to, they're going to take it literally to a certain extent. Like, if you're not at a place where you can receive and kind of marinate in it and think about it to a more extreme degree. It also seems like part of the reason she said that is to be like, no one will ever love you like I love you as your mom. And I think that's also part of something that the book doesn't really get into is like, do Michelle and her mom have like the best relationship? Is this really how you want to be with your daughter is like, I am your everything. We are closer than anyone else. No one will ever have the bond that you and I have. Um, This is coming from someone who's, I don't have that like intense relationship with my mom. Uh, whereas maybe Katie, you feel differently about like your relationship with your mom where like no one actually really ever will love me like my mom does. I don't know. That's also something she doesn't like kind of, she doesn't talk about like that her relationship with her mom and all of it's like, she just kind of shows us their relationship. She doesn't talk about like whether it's good or bad or what it means. Yeah. I mean, I'm very close with my mom and I think, but I also think there's like this weird, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. So, like, when I was picking out my, like, father-daughter song for my wedding, which, and I'm very close with both my parents. Like, my family is a like, super tight-knit group of people. But, like, picking out my father-daughter song, they, like, they're all, like, all the traditional ones are, like, you know, you're my first love. Like, you, I'm the one giving you away. Like, this is something that, like, this is a parental bond that no one else can ever have with you. And that's, like, not the relationship that I have with my parents. I think more than anything, they would be like, we want someone else to, and believe somebody else should love you as much as we love you. And that's why we would want you to like have a partner. Um, and so I feel like it is kind of interesting, this cliche that like, yeah, you're, you never have something as good as your mom. Well, you'll never have something the same as your mom, but that doesn't mean you can't have a big love that is completely different and is also just as like healthy and helpful. Like you, I think it is interesting that it's like this, kind of pedestal parental love that's put on there for context I did not dance to one of those songs <laughs> dance to what a wonderful world by Louis Armstrong <laughs> so a non-father daughter song because I was like what is this like this whole genre is like no <laughs> but yeah oh my my sister's getting married next week and it's just a cornucopia of stressful life events for me currently yeah <laughs> So much going I should, on. I should ask her what her plan is for the, if she's doing a father-daughter dance, what her song is. Yeah, <laughs> my dad, curious. like, loves to dance. There was no option. He's, like, on the dance for the whole night. I had to send him home. I was like, who's driving this man? <laughs> so it was definitely I, I, a thing. I love that. My dad likes to dance, but he's one of those people where he's like, okay, there's a box that your feet are in, and your feet don't leave the box. Mm-hmm. And this is how, I don't know what kind of, I, I want to be like, it's a box step. I don't know, but My I dad digress. does this uh, thing we call it the water dance, just while we're seeing him dancing. 
And we call the water guns, like, behind it. Maybe to his face now. But he, like, yes, plants uh-huh. his feet, and then he's just, like, moving his only the top of him like he's in water, but his feet <laughs> never move. After the death of her mom, Michelle turns to a Korean food YouTube star, Mangchi. How is Mangchi an important character for Michelle? Um, I think she's kind of, I don't want to say she's like a guide, but I think she's like the person who's bridging the gaps between what her mom taught her and like what her mom didn't have time to teach her in terms of like food, in terms of like, I think that I think she's kind of like a bridge between everything that she learned with her mom and everything that she was probably supposed to learn like naturally as time went on and just kind of like that connecting point like okay your mom took you this far I'm here to take you as far as I can and um I'm gonna help you in that sense yeah I think it's like it's also a way you know when someone when you have like a lot of those like painful memories with someone like she's watching her mom be really sick She's, you know, I heard this, Michelle was talking about this in an interview, you know, she has this really visceral memory of her mom with like the sores in her mouth and her like tongue being all messed up and not being able to eat anything like that's so visceral in her mind. It's hard to like remember her mom in a different way. I think Ming Chi gives her like what you were saying in terms of like, here's how you cook the food. Here are the recipes. Like, here's the guidance that you want. It's also a way to like remember how her mom used to be, which is like very put together with like the like straight little like bob haircut and like very like poised and i think that's like helping her also kind of get back to that those earlier Uh memories that are less like crisp because they're not like as painful and they're not as recent so it helps her kind of transfer back to those earlier memories maybe (laughs) okay back to her dad michelle Uh clearly has some feelings about her father and also kai or key we're not quite sure exactly how to say Um, her name correctly Um, what do you think about their portrayal in the book and do you think that we know the whole story about the three of them including Michelle and their relationship I think we I don't think we know everything and that's the difficulty with memoirs is that it's so very clearly one-sided and even if Michelle when writing it was trying to be as neutral as possible um, even from like her perceived neutrality she's gonna input her feelings about Kai and about her dad into the book so um I understand the frustration that she has and the difficulty with both of those relationships because if you've grown up with or if you've grown up she grew up with both of her parents and like clearly being closer to her mom and having these kind of difficulties with her dad and I think at one point her dad said like you wish that were me or something along those lines and it's hard to be like, well, I kind of thought it would be. And with Kai, um, I think we like to believe to a certain extent when we're young that we know our parents and we know everything about them and we know who they are. And I mean, especially as I've gotten older, you kind of just realize you're like, wait a minute. No, there is like a whole 20, 30, 40 years they had without me. And there's going to be people who know them from at different levels than what, how I know them and know them from different times. And so they have different pieces of that person. Like if a person is a puzzle, you have like a quarter or a half of it. And the other person has the other half, but you can't see it. I didn't, I started that analogy without really knowing where I was going, but like, you're like, Oh, I don't have the whole picture. I don't know who they are fully. And I think it's kind of isolating for Michelle to be like, I want to take care of my mom. And I want to do the best that I can. And Kai is kind of saying, well, no, you don't know how to, I know how to. 
Yeah, and she doesn't. I mean, she really doesn't know how to take care of her mom, which is also the frustrating part, and she realizes it. Like, I wish I had this fantasy that I would come in and be able to take care of my mom in all of these amazing ways, and I would heal all of these wounds that we have between us, and then she's just, like, completely incapable of it, and then, like, kind of spiteful because Key actually, or Kai actually can, you know, provide the comfort and structure that her mom actually needs. Um, and I think it's interesting because yeah, it's, it's switching that role to Michelle being the comforter where like for most of her life that has not been her role whereas like if Kai and her mom have been friends for a long time they probably have alternated those roles when they have needed each other or know what has brought them comfort you know she does like the little makeshift pedicure or whatever in bed and she's like I didn't even think of that because yeah you only know her as your mom really and so you didn't you don't know that whole kind of piece of her that Kai does have access to you have just been thrown into this role of being the one who takes care of her. I mean, three months away, mom was breaking in your shoes for you to wear. So like you've just started to transition into this. Um, And I think she gets better as it goes on with knowing what her mom needs and wants and how she can care for, like be there for her. But I think, yeah, when Kai's there, it's definitely a struggle for her. So we always ask um, our guests at the end, what else are you reading right now? Or is there any books you would like to recommend? Um, so let's see. I am currently reading One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Um, Erin has bought that too. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, I wanted to buy that so that I haven't read it yet. Is it good so far? It's literally, it was literally on my nightstand, which is right here. That's so funny. I, I, I pre-ordered the book and I'm kind of in a, in a wishy-washy mood. Um, again, the cornucopia, I keep saying cornucopia, like it means something, but <laughs> like, um, the whirlpool of stressors going on in my life, my brain has not been able to like process a lot really well. So I'm like, this is going to be good. I enjoyed red, white, and royal blue. Yes. I read that a couple years ago during another time of stress and it was really comforting. So I'm like, this should be good. So I think I'm about, I'm a little under 200 pages in. It's really enjoyable. It is a little more slow moving than I thought it would be. But I'm like, oh my gosh, there's time traveling. It's in New York City. There's a subway. (laughs) There's a subway. There's a subway. As someone from a, I refer to myself as a country bumpkin. (laughs) As someone from a small town where there's, um, there's the Greyhound. And there's a train station about 70 miles yonder. <laughs> um, the the concept of like mass transportation just blows my mind. I'm like, oh my god, that sounds so much easier. <laughs> it doesn't it though. I'm like reading on a commute. No. What a dream. Oh my god. Uh, if so I want to get to, I will a t- be getting on a subway in like in like 30 minutes. I'll get on a subway. <laughs> I'll take some pictures for both of you. And Thank you. Can you. See the mysterious wet piles that she talks about <laughs> and like being shoved up against people and well, I didn't say it was you know, all of that fun stuff. Just no, no, no. Rats. It sounds so many easier. rats. <laughs> it sounds more efficient. Now, if I want to go 15 miles north, I got to wait for one bus and then I get on the bus and I got to get to a transfer station and connect to another bus that only comes around once every half hour. Oh, wow. And the bus is always late. Okay. And so, so I... I am anyway not to not to (laughs) embrace the subway too much but um I've been reading that and that's really good and um a book I read recently that I really enjoyed was Ola Poppy by John John Paul Brommer Brammer Brommer um he's very popular on Twitter and he kind of wrote it's a memoir but it's also essays about like it's kind of like Dear Anne questions that he answers with his life story and I had just finished a really, really dark and violent fantasy. And I was like, this is going to be light and funny. And it was, it was light and it was funny, but it was also like, 
a gut punch in a lot of ways. And so it was actually a really fantastic, it was fantastic in ways I didn't expect it to be, which shame on me for thinking that I'm like, oh, he's famous on Twitter. How deep is it going to be? It was actually really deep and really good. I love to so. be surprised by books like, and authors like that though. Yeah. It's much better so. when you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, I went on vacation and I read like six books. Not really. I think I read the you read a books. lot. So I feel like I got a rapid fire review these books. Um, so someone in the beach house left Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, and I've never read a John Green book before. Like, I don't you've understand. Never even read Fault in Our Stars. No. Yeah, I can't believe I've never read John Green before. I thought yeah. it was really entertaining. I really liked Turtles All the Way Down. He talks like. A teenage girl. It's crazy. That's my quick review. Okay, next <laughs> book, Beach Read. We'll talk about it next week. Crying in H Mart. I finished. Wait, but can you just give us? We did you like Beach Read? Loved it. We'll talk about it. Okay. Um, and then I read One to Watch, which I did not like. I know it makes me sad inside. <sighs> I just don't like the ending. I don't want to spoil the ending, but I did not like the ending. Well, why didn't you DM like us? It? Can you say it without? Spoiling? I can't say that. No, I can't say that without spoiling it. I feel. I was very frustrated with like multiple characters throughout the book. And so the ending was not satisfying for me. It was very frustrating. DM me at book talk underscore podcast. We'll talk about it. That's that's my super quick review of all those books. Um, We can talk about it more. You'll definitely hear us talk about Beach Read next week. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Beach Read and people we meet on vacation. I feel like those are two. um, I feel like if you like, what was the other one you just read? Beach Read, people we meet on vacation. That was was all the way down. Okay, but those two that I recommended. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about those two. And, you know, I feel like recommending two out of three outside of what you normally read books and you liking them is like pretty good odds for me. So I will take it. (laughs) So we moved. We're all settled into our new little townhouse, which is very exciting. Um, And I read, so I stopped reading for like two full weeks because I don't really like to pack in advance, um, much to like Jason's dismay. So I had a lot to do the two weeks of moving. Um, but we're here now, thank God. And then I read Stacey Abrams' book, um, While Justice Sleeps, and it was really good. I grew up reading a lot of my dad's books because um, he has a ton, and he religiously reads John Grisham, Dan Brown, Lee Child, like legal thrillers specifically. Um, and so I also love a good legal thriller or like a good kind of like murder mystery legal thriller, and that's what this is, and it was really well done. Like, is there, is there literally anything that Stacey Abrams can't do? Like, I, I can't Like, how does she it. have the she time? I really don't understand. wrote a novel? Like, yes. I mean, she's so busy. And then she just, like, wrote this novel. And it is, it's really good. Um, Can you give me a quick synopsis? I feel like I don't know what yeah. this book is about. Yeah. So, um, it centers on a Supreme Court law clerk, Avery, who clerks for one of the justices, who goes into a coma random kind of randomly and he leaves her as his power of attorney and they're not close they're not even like they're barely working well together and she can't figure out why and she basically has to put together this puzzle of a huge conspiracy theory and like crimes of the united states to figure out like what to do and he like leaves it in her hands um i mean it's really good and i feel like i couldn't i really could not figure out how it was gonna end 
And so the last like couple of chapters, I was like, I've got to figure this out. Like, is she going to be okay? What's going to happen? Um, it was like just enough, like terrifying, um, <laughs> crimes and murders that it was still really good. I do feel like when I read books like this though, and this is about like a specific kind of like biochemical warfare, um, I'm like, if Stacey Abrams can make this up, like what is actually happening in the world? Like that's just a little bit yeah. terrifying. Uh, so I don't have to think about too much, but I will say it was really good and really well written. And I just still can't believe that Stacey Abrams wrote like a killer crime novel. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, read it. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.